Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Rincon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Welcome to the show today, my new friend. And I, I feel like we're, there's kind of a kindred spirit there. There's alignment here. I've really enjoyed the, the last 10 minutes getting to know Courtney. And now it's my pleasure to bring Courtney Elmer to you today. Courtney, tell us why you have a smile on your face and why today is a great day for you. Oh, Matt, every day that I'm alive is a great day. Let's go deep first. Why do you say every day is a great day? Please share some of this backstory because it is amazing. So get ready listeners for an amazing, amazing woman. Well, you know, Matt, what's interesting about my story and my journey is that like most of us, I had graduated college and thought that climbing the corporate ladder was what I was here to do. And so I started working in the corporate world and I was climbing the ladder and I had the nice car and I had say so at the company and I had clout and I had all of these things and all of that the world measures success by. I had all of that. At that time in my life, I had also met the love of my life and we had gotten engaged and started planning our wedding. And I got a really bad sinus infection out of nowhere a couple of weeks before the wedding. Went in to see my doctor and he's like, look, let's just run some tests, make sure everything checks out. I'm sure you'll be fine. We'll do a follow-up when you get back from your honeymoon. Go enjoy your wedding. So I'm like, okay, great. You know, and he ran some tests and I went on my way. And so two days after we got home from our honeymoon, I had that follow-up visit scheduled. And my doctor walks in the room that day, Matt, and he sits down and he looks at me and he's like, Courtney, so we got your test results back. This falls beyond the scope of my expertise. I'm going to turn your case over to another doctor who handles this sort of thing. She's here today. She'll be here in a moment. I'll introduce you. And immediately I'm like, what is going on? what aren't you telling me? So sure enough, right then there's a knock on the door. This other doctor walks in. She sits down and she looks at me and she says, Courtney, you have thyroid cancer. She said, the good news, Courtney, is that it's very treatable. But the bad news for you is that you have this aggressive mutation. It's pretty rare. It's starting to spread. We need to operate as soon as possible. I have cleared my morning next Monday so that you can have a spot on my surgery schedule. And next Monday was less than a week away. And Matt, I can remember my brand new husband sitting there next to me. He's like gripping my hand. I know the thought that was going through both of our minds was in in sickness and in health, right? And it's like, okay, we're checking that box a little earlier than we thought. (laughs) What are we getting ourselves into? And fast forward several months of treatment and recovery. That was the first time in my life that I stopped to think about the way I was living and realized very quickly that it wasn't aligned with how I wanted to be living. I didn't want to be working for someone else, burning myself out, working what felt like 24-7, 365. For what? And I knew that I had gifts and talents that were God-given that I wasn't using at all. 
I felt pulled in a different direction. I wish I could say that that was the moment I walked away from corporate and started my business and everything's just been all roses since. It hasn't. I went back to corporate because that was my comfort zone. I continued to endure a very emotionally abusive work environment for the next two years until finally I overcame my own fear, my own self-doubt, and realized that I have one life to live. I know that sounds cliche, but that life is short. And I know that sounds cliche too, but a cancer diagnosis at 25 years old taught me that. And that is the reason that I say every day that I'm alive is a good day. Wow. Thank you, Courtney, for sharing that and sharing you. And I'm on the verge of tears over here on the edge of my seat. And thank you for lightening the mood there for a moment when you said you and your husband is sickness and in health. I was like, thank you for cutting the edge because man, that uh, I can't imagine. Take us back, if you will, for a moment. What were those four months like when you were going through the treatment? Did you lose all of your hair? Was it nauseous all the time? Like what is cancer treatment out of nowhere in the first four months of your marriage? What was that first four months like? Yeah, it was tough because... Treatment for thyroid cancer is a little bit different than your other cancers because the thyroid is the only gland in the whole body that can absorb iodine. So rather than traditional radiation, what they do is they give you radioactive iodine pills that you ingest and your entire body becomes radioactive you have to be in quarantine. I was in quarantine in the hospital for days. The, the nurses would come in and stand behind a lead shield and they'd have this Geiger counter like to measure the radiation levels that I was emitting. I'm like this, I feel like I'm living in a movie right now. This is like some sci-fi movie. What is going on? And when I came home from that, we had to sleep separately. We couldn't sleep in the same room, had to wash clothes separately, couldn't drink out of each other's glass. Not that we do that often anyway, but just those little things that sometimes you don't think about. Well, let me let me taste that. You know, all of those things we had to totally just think about. And it was just weird. It was very weird. And not to mention that because my thyroid had been completely removed, I had to take replacement hormones that my body took months to adjust to. I would wake up in the morning and never know how I was going to feel. I might feel like a truck hit me and it would take me two hours just to brush my teeth, take a shower, put on a little makeup and get out the door. A process that normally would take me maybe 30 minutes tops. So it was a lot to adjust to at once. As far as our marriage, I feel like it brought us closer instantly. We had to lean on each other. It was more me leaning on my husband, Alan, but he was my rock. He was there for me. I remember right after the surgery, I lived with my parents for a couple of weeks and I would joke with my friends, be like, yeah, I've already moved back in with my parents, not working out so well, you know? And they're like, Courtney, come on. How are you really doing? You know, but he was working on site at a job about two hours away, two hour commute to my parents' house and then back to our home. And he would make that commute almost every day to come visit me. I couldn't lift anything. I couldn't do anything. So I was with you know, my mom and dad who were helping me with all of that while he was working. So all these little moments that we just never in a million years expected to face early on in the, this honeymoon stage of our marriage. And it deepened our connection more than anything else possibly could. It was really remarkable how that happened. Oh, 
Man, that's amazing to hear that all of these challenges that I have no idea because if someone has had cancer and they've survived, then they know this is a very specific kind that makes it a different kind of challenging. So thank you for sharing those things with us, Courtney. I'm curious on a lighter note, how did you and Alan meet? This man sounds absolutely amazing. What was the origin story of you and Mr. Elmer when you met? Well, like most couples that met before Tinder arrived on the scene, you know, one night late in a bar, hanging out. <laughs> we did meet in a bar, but it was through a mutual friend. And this friend was actually very interested in one of my friends. So this mutual friend was like, hey, can you get your girlfriends together? I'm going to get some of my buddies together. Let's meet up because he wanted to meet my friend. And turns out nothing ever really worked out between them. But Alan and I got the good end of that deal. So that's how we met. And I could go into a lot of detail with that. They were they were quite <laughs> conniving. The first time we met, he didn't really talk that much. I mean, hey, nice to meet you, you know, but it turns out for the next six months, he proceeded to ask about me and like anyone knew me, right? He, was, he didn't have a Facebook. He wasn't on social media. So I'm like, I couldn't look this guy up. So about six months after that initial meeting, our mutual friend who was still interested and my friend was like, hey, let's meet up again. Let's get this together again. I'm like, look, I will come, but only if other girls are there. Because I knew, I just didn't want to crash a guy's night. So there's this long pause between text messages and he sends back. He's like, yeah, other girls will be there. Just come. I'm like, okay. So I get there. Matt, I walk in. There's me and six other guys. Not a single girl to be seen. <laughs> and Alan was there. And he sits down and he just talks to me. And I remember I had never enjoyed a conversation with another guy as much as I did that conversation with Alan. I walked away from that conversation thinking, God, I didn't know men were capable of having these kinds of conversations, you know? It was deep, it was intellectual, it was engaging, and it was funny, and it was fun. Months after that, I find out that they had orchestrated that night because Alan wanted to meet me, and they put all of this together, and so our mutual friend was like, hold on a second, she's not gonna come unless other girls are here. You know, there's this whole back conversation happening. Alan was like, well, let me get my friend who grew up down the street. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know any other girls who could come. So he invited his neighbor, childhood neighbor from down the street, who was in med school at the time. She showed up like two hours later, the only girl that showed up that evening. And we just laugh about it now, you know, because it was just one of the, I admire his gumption and his courage to be like, we're going to make this work. We're going to make this happen. I, I want to meet this girl. But yeah, that's how we met. Oh, what an amazing story. It makes you smile. Thank you for sharing a little bit about Alan with us. I'd love to keep moving forward in what you've shared so far. You've talked about something I think will resonate with a lot of our listeners is that after you were able to work through those first few months, you decided to go back to corporate America. I think you said it was in your comfort zone and, and you went back for another couple of years where you may have endured an abusive corporate relationship. And I wonder, what did you mean by that? Endured another abusive corporate relationship. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So for me, the work environment that I was working in, the person who was in charge, my superior, my person that I reported to would challenge everything that I would bring up, even good ideas. You know, I know gaslighting is a very, very common term now, right? It's almost just become this buzzword, but that was essentially the environment. I would bring up very serious things, you know, hey, this issue is happening with this customer or I feel this way about how we're doing this thing and was shut down or talked down to, or just essentially, I mean, gaslighting is the way to describe it, made to believe that 
It was me, my problem, my issue. And it was a very difficult place to work. You know, Matt, to give even more context for this, as I was growing up, my mom and I were always on the rocks. Our relationship, we didn't have the closest relationship. And I always craved that emotional closeness with my mom. I was very opinionated and outspoken as a young girl because I thought that in order to be heard, I needed to talk louder. My mom didn't like that very much. And so I can remember very clearly, I was about nine years old and she's standing at the sink, she's washing dishes and I'm mouthing off about something. I I have no idea what it was, but I was loud and I was talking at her and I was sassy and probably very disrespectful. And she turns and she looks at me and she says, Courtney, your mouth is what gets you in trouble. Go to your room. And Matt, I can remember walking down the hall to my room that day, internalizing what she had said. And that was something that I continued to internalize for the next 20 years. So as I look at this situation, I had the opportunity to learn from in the corporate environment. At the time, I didn't see it as an opportunity. I just saw it as another nail in the coffin, so to speak. It was more proof that what I had to say didn't matter. And for whatever reason, I reached a breaking point where I just wasn't gonna take it anymore. I had silenced myself and molded myself and became a people pleaser for others' approval, to win their love, to earn their respect. That difficult work environment really just helped me to see that that's not how I wanted to live. And I have always believed that two of my God-given gifts are speaking and writing. It's something that has come very naturally to me through the years. I mean, I have an English literature bachelor's degree for crying out loud. I mean, who majors in that, right? English literature, my goodness. But it's because I loved it. I love writing. I love reading. I love speaking. I love communication. I love the psychology of communication and how humans communicate verbally and non-verbally. And it always fascinated me. I was tired of really, you know, now looking back at the time, I would have described the situation as being emotionally abusive and I was being gaslighted and nobody cared about what I had to say and it was all their fault. And I would have blamed and blamed and blamed when really the root of it, Matt, quite honestly, sitting here transparently telling you this today, it was because I didn't value my own voice enough. So I tolerated that situation longer than I should have. Yes. For two more years, you had that. And you shared that at that point, you finally were able to overcome your own fear and your own self-doubt. Kudos to you. Anytime someone says the word cliche, it takes me back to, uh, I think it was Tools of Titans with Tim Ferriss talking about, anytime he hears the word cliche, that means just pause and investigate further because there's wisdom and truth in things that people say are cliche. So I feel there is a lot of wisdom and truth in overcoming your own self-doubt and your own fears. So you hit that place where you decided to make the leap to entrepreneurship. Can you go back to that day and tell us what you were thinking and what happened that day that you quit or the day that you started your business. would love to go back to that day. Yeah. Well, which day? Because the day that I quit, I turned in my letter of resignation and my superior never spoke to me again. That was a very interesting experience to go through. Just being made to feel wrong for taking a stand for myself. 
And it would have been very easy for me to just say, oh, okay, uh, I'll stay on, you know, or I'll work a little longer than anticipated. I'll help out, right? Like that was my past people pleasing tendencies. But at that point, I was like, no, this is what I'm doing and I'm doing it and you have to deal with it. (laughs) So I walked away and started my business and I was excited. I was so excited, Matt. And I feel like there's this, I don't know if you're familiar with the Dunning-Kruger effect. But there are these two psychologists and researchers, Dunning and Kruger, and uh, by their last name, of course, and they find out in their research that when we as humans start off and embark on something new, we think we know the most about it, and therefore we're excited, and we think it's going to be easy, and we think it's going to be just like, oh, I've got this, you know, I'm totally capable, I can totally do this. Then when we get on the journey and we actually start progressing toward the thing we said we wanted to do, we realize how hard it is. And we fall into what they call the pit of despair, the valley of despair. And this is where we're just like, oh, I'm not cut out for this. And I, I'm not capable. What was I thinking, right? And a lot of people in those moments go back to their comfort zone and they go back to their old ways. They go back to what they were doing. But what they said is, you know, when you stick with it and you just continue moving through the valley of despair as long as it takes, eventually you will reach a point on the other side where you recognize that, you know what, I don't know everything and that's okay because I can learn and I am capable of learning. That was me. That describes to a T my foray into this world of entrepreneurship. And at the beginning, you know, I thought I was at the peak. Oh, this is going to be easy. All you got to do is just put up a website, get an offer together, put a checkout page, you know, post some stuff on social media. People are going to love it. And then I'm going to have a million followers and then it's going to be great. I'm going to be a millionaire. And I'm of course being a little facetious there, but that's really initially what we think, right? It's like, yeah, it's going to be some work, but I'm capable. I can do it. And then we realized very quickly, it's very hard. And it's a lot harder than we expected it to be. (laughs) Yes. And we are challenged. And in those moments, we are refined. For those of us that stick through that valley of despair and keep going, we go on to do great things in the world. That aptly describes the beginning of my own journey in this world of entrepreneurship. Yes. And I want to put your journey on a platform Well, I guess we're on one right now. I want to shout it out and share where it is now. Before we get to that, I want to go back to one more thought. I know that once you got through with the the treatments and you're going through this process in the two years and starting your own company, somewhere on your journey, you had a surprise. And I'd love to talk a little bit about uh, the surprise and talk a little bit about your son. Love to hear that story, please. So Matt, this is interesting. About five years into our marriage, we didn't have kids. We wanted kids, but we didn't know if we could have them because one of the side effects of the particular radiation treatment that I went through was infertility. The doctors, given my age, didn't quite know what was going to happen there. And they informed me of the risks and they said, because you are young, we are recommending this treatment because of the aggressive nature of your cancer, blah, blah, blah. And so that was a really hard decision to make. Because we knew that making that decision, while it could protect me and preserve my health into the distant future and reduce the risk of a recurrence, it also could increase the risk of not being able to have kids. So that was a very hard decision. And we took our time to make that decision. We got quite a few opinions and finally decided to move forward with it, knowing the risks. 
So about five years following that, we had a conversation. We were building our house and we were talking like, do we want to adopt? I mean, we we didn't know if, if we'd be able to have kids. We had just broached the subject. It wasn't like a serious conversation about adoption. It was just like, is this a conversation we want to have? Two weeks later, I found out I was pregnant. What? Oh, man. And when I tell you, Matt, it floored me because, and this might be a little too much information, but I'll just share. I mean, for anyone listening, obviously, woman's fertility depends on her monthly cycle. I didn't have a monthly cycle. Didn't have one, which by nature of that meant that I shouldn't be able to get pregnant. And a lot of that had to do with my hormones and all the different things that were going on in my body that affected that. So when I got pregnant, we were blown away because I just started feeling really bad. I was having migraines. I was feeling a little nauseous. I wasn't feeling myself. I was feeling like I was feeling right after surgery and treatment where my hormones are trying to regulate and all this was going on. And I got really nervous because I was like, what if this is something coming back? What if I'm sick again? What if this is cancer? What? My doctors did blood work. They were like, you look fine. We can't figure out what's going on. Maybe it's a weird virus. Just give it some time. So I'm like, I'm taking matters into my own hands. I'm like, I'm going to get a pregnancy test. I'm going to get whatever tests that I could over the counter to try to figure, like to rule things <laughs> out. That was why I took yes. a pregnancy test. Was not to see if I was pregnant. was just to rule it out, to try to get to the root of what was happening. Well, the root of what was happening was a little different than I expected. And I have always said this, Matt, and I don't ever really get to share this. So I appreciate that you asked this question because when I was a younger girl, how all girls dream about their future and their family and all these things, I had this fantasy that if I were to ever get pregnant around Father's Day, that I would surprise my husband on Father's Day by letting him know, hey, you're a dad. And that was just in my head. That's what I wanted to do. So when I found out I was pregnant, it was, I think, June 4th, almost five years to the date of my cancer anniversary, and Father's Day was a week and a half away. Oh, you, you had to sit on this for I a week and a half? Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, my gosh. you know, and I, But I did because I was like, there's this opportunity. Like, I can't not do this. This might be the only chance I get to do this. So Father's Day rolls around, and my mom was the only person in on the secret. She was like, well, how are you going to tell him? I'm like, well, I'm just going to go to Whole Foods. I'm going to get a cake that says Happy Father's Day. And in our family, we're like that cheesy family that sings, you know, happy Father's Day to you. I don't know why we do that, but we do that. So we start singing and I start walking towards my dad with the cake and make like I'm going to put it in front of him. And then I turn and I put it in front of Alan. And it took a minute and then everyone caught on and they were like, what? Like the reaction, you know, and it was just like, it was the best. It was the best memory that we have shared in a really long time and so special. And so that's our son, AJ. And he is now five years old. And I tell you, God gave me this little boy to teach me so many things that I would have never had the chance to learn otherwise. And he is our greatest miracle and our greatest blessing. Oh, wow. First of all, bravo, bravo on the delay. You waited a week and a half. Amazing. (laughs) And thank you for sharing that personal story and helping us just kind of feel what that's like to be in that spot because... No more words can express how uh, the joy that you've just shared with us. So thank you. And I'd like to uh, move us to a little bit of business and professional because I'll say this simply for those of you who have not Googled Courtney, you don't know Courtney yet. She's a baller. She runs an amazing company, multiple businesses under an umbrella. She teaches people how to simplify and scale their online businesses at a very high level. People that are that six, seven, eight figure range. She has a top 1% podcast and she actually has 
over 40 podcast hosts that she has trained how to have a top 1% podcast. So she's very well accomplished there. What I really like to focus is your podcast. Because when I heard the name of it, I knew that we were going to get along amazingly well. So can you talk about the name of your podcast and how it came to be and just a little bit about that journey, please? (laughs) Yes. So the name of the show is called Anti-Fragile Entrepreneurship. And Matt, for the longest time in my business, I always felt like there was this golden thread that tied together the many things that I do, right? You mentioned how we help with systems and streamlining and optimizing and scaling. And you mentioned on the podcasting side, right? How we help people install a podcast as a marketing system, essentially within their business to drive traffic and increase sales. And for a long time, those things felt disconnected from each other. We did great work in those areas. But as far as the greater ethos of our company or the greater ethos of our brand, I'm like, there's something that I just haven't gone deep enough yet to discover. And I knew that it would be revealed in time, you know, and that part of it was maybe my own growth that I had to go through before I could see what that thing was. So late last year, I went through a really dark season in my business where I had some personal things that I was struggling with that affected how I was able to show up in my business. I really started going deeper and just questioning, you know, Courtney, what is your deeper purpose? What are you here for? What do you want to be remembered? I had to achieve a lot of success in my entrepreneurial journey, but I felt like I was at this pivot point where it didn't necessarily mean I was going to turn all that off and go into some completely different niche or field or anything, but that there was a deepening happening. There was this evolution happening and I had to get really quiet to hear what that was. And so I'd have conversations here and there with people about it, but I was very careful to not, I didn't really share a whole lot because one of the things when you're going through a pivot point like that or a dark season, especially in business or in your career, when we have too much input coming in at us from outside sources, it prevents us from hearing that inner voice within. What do most of us do when we're struggling with a problem, right? We usually talk about it with people. Oh, I'm dealing with this thing or this drama is happening or this. What do you think? What is your opinion? Well, okay, you're someone who's educated in business. Here's what I'm dealing with. What do you think I should do, right? But when we have all those other people's inputs coming in at us and they can come in the form of podcasts, it can come in the form of your Instagram feed. It can come in the form of a conversation with a colleague. Then we're unable to hear where our own thoughts, our own voice is leading us. I don't know about you, Matt, but I've never seen anyone become a thought leader by not actually listening to and sharing their thoughts. Have you? I have not. (laughs) That was for me, I had to get quiet. So the more I listened, the more I began to realize that the work that I have done and will continue to do is has always been around helping entrepreneurs own their voice, to use their voice to take a stand for what they believe in. By helping them implement better systems in their business, we help them create a greater impact by taking a stand for what they believe in. By helping them with podcasts, we help them expand their thought leadership by owning their voice and taking a stand for what they believe in. So as I went deeper and deeper to really uncover what this deeper purpose was for me, I began to look at my own journey and much of what I've shared with you here today and how things like resilience in entrepreneurship has always played a role for me, it's always been a topic I've been interested in and enjoy teaching about. The more I researched and read and listened, the more I realized that really what I was getting at and these thoughts that I didn't have words for until one day, February 13th, I remember 
because I was like, this is the word. This is it. It's anti-fragile. And immediately it was like the skies parted and the angels sang and it was like, oh, this is it. This is the thing. No, I'm kidding. That didn't really happen. But it was that moment (laughs) where I was like, this is it. This is describing exactly what I am here to do. And the ways we do that and the ways we carry that out might be different and varied, but this is the deeper purpose. And so what anti-fragility means, for those listening who've maybe never heard this term before, I did not coin this term. This is by an author, Nicholas Taleb, Nicholas Nassim Nicholas Taleb, who wrote this book called Anti-Fragile. And he applies this idea or this concept to many different sectors, many different systems, human systems, organizations, organisms, human plant, all these types of things, business, government. And he makes the case for why there is one step further from resilience that most of us miss. Most of us think the opposite of being fragile is to be resilient. Something that's fragile breaks easily under pressure. Something that's resilient can better withstand pressure. But something that's resilient doesn't necessarily mean that it will grow because of that pressure. And that's what anti-fragility means. It takes resilience one step further, and it actually means growing through what you go through. And I love this because as entrepreneurs, we are so addicted to this illusion of success. And how can we achieve that? Look at every business podcast out there. I'm going to give you the latest strategy to help you become a six-figure business owner or seven figures and eight figures and all of this. The latest marketing thing, the next platform. You know, If it's not Instagram, it's threads. If it's not threads, it's TikTok. If it's not TikTok, it's YouTube, whatever it might be. right? And we jump on all of these bandwagons in the name of success when what we really need to be learning how to do as entrepreneurs is learning how to fail better. Because failure is part and parcel of the entrepreneur's journey. But that's not what we see on social media. We see the highlight reel. We don't see the behind the scenes of the failures that these entrepreneurs who have achieved these amazing things had to go through to achieve those amazing things. And that's what I'm committed to sharing on my podcast is the nitty gritty stuff. The stuff that people aren't talking about on other podcasts. Their failure journey to get them to the success that they have today. And the way that this ties in with the voice is is really fascinating, Matt. I do have to share this because back when I was nine years old and my mom told me that thing about, hey, your mouth gets you in trouble. And I silenced my voice for 20 years. I have to say, I never did see myself teaching podcasting. I didn't want to be known as the podcast girl. You know, Courtney's a podcast queen. Like, no, that is not a title that I want on my tombstone. But as I look back at my journey, I cannot think of anything else that is better for me to do. Sure, podcasting is just the vehicle, but helping people own their voice, which is part of becoming an anti-fragile entrepreneur. And what's really interesting about this, if you want to add a layer here, is that one of the biggest risks of having your thyroid removed is having your vocal cords severed. Because if the doctor's hand slips just a little bit and nicks your vocal cords, you might have a voice box for the rest of your life. So when my doctor woke me up, she asked me, she said, Courtney, can you say my name? She wasn't asking to see if I had come out of the anesthesia. She was asking to see if I could speak. And I'm here today to tell you, this is the way that entrepreneurship is not about what you achieve. It's about what you learn along the way. And more importantly, who you become as a result of what you learn along the way. 
That to me is anti-fragility. And we can embrace this and adopt this in our entrepreneurial journeys to achieve not just success, but true fulfillment of our mission and our calling that we've been put on this earth here to do. Wow. I've been hanging on every word that you've been sharing for the last 10 minutes. That was amazing. And February 13th is Anti-Fragility Day in my book from now on. It's the day that angels came from on high and they sang to you, this is why I'm here. And to skip forward a couple of steps, you're here to help us learn how to fail better, to own our voices, to get into the nitty gritty of the details of all the, literally, the failure journey is the journey of the entrepreneur, not the pretty shiny stuff on Instagram. And just appreciate and honor you for helping us to see that and putting a real voice to it. We're not going to just have everything easy and handed to us. We will grow because of the failure and we'll grow with what we go through. So thank you for sharing this. How might we find out more about well, we know where to go, the Anti-Fragility Entrepreneurship Podcast. We know to go there. And I encourage everyone to go there because I've been there and our list of guests is amazing. And I've heard at least one story on there that's amazing. John Lee Dumas' story I saw on your website. I listened to that. That was good. And and not only are you a great host of a podcast, you also teach people how to incorporate that into the business. So I believe there's an offer or something where our guests could go and learn more about this. So where might we go important to find out more about podcasting and you and your businesses. Yeah. So if you are a six or seven figure entrepreneur or an aspiring six or seven figure entrepreneur, and you are someone who wants to increase your visibility and own your voice, expand your authority and be seen as a thought leader, not for your ego, but because you know that that is the measure by which you will recognize the impact that you're making in the world. And that impact is what really drives your desire to be seen, your desire to help others. And you're struggling with social media and short form content. And you're sick and tired of posting three, four, five, ten 10 times a week and getting no DMs of people asking how to work with you and not knowing how to engage your audience on a deeper level. And you've considered launching a podcast, but maybe you're worried that it's going to take too much time or you're going to run out of things to talk about. Or maybe you have launched a podcast that is not growing like you expected it to grow. You haven't crossed that thousand download per episode mark yet. You've been trying different things to grow your show like SEO and guesting on other podcasts and posting to social, but it's not really gelling as one cohesive growth strategy for your show. Then what I would invite you to do is join me for our next upcoming workshop. I teach these workshops on a regular basis. They are completely free. There is absolutely no pitch. And what I will do is walk you through our proven process to create, launch, and leverage a top 100 podcast. This is the same process that we've used that we've helped over four dozen other entrepreneurs use to leverage their message, to get it out in front of a wider audience and to create deeper connections and build deeper trust with their community, which we all know as entrepreneurs is the thing that leads to increased traffic and increased sales. So if you're interested in joining me for that, I'd love to have you. And you can go get all of the details on the latest workshop. You know, we always have the most up-to-date information at antifragileentrepreneurship.co, so .co forward slash workshop. So again, antifragileentrepreneurship.co forward slash workshop. And you can register right there and save your seat. Antifragileentrepreneurship.co slash workshop. 
to save your seat. And if you did not hear every one of those challenges that Courtney just named, which was, by the way, an excellent study in how to enroll an audience and how to sell without selling, that was absolutely amazing to hear everything you just shared. You've got to go and check this out. I know that this show will probably be published before August 23rd, which is the next one, but they're every three to four weeks. So listeners, please go and check this out. And in addition to learning more and hearing from Courtney, you have an opportunity to sign up for a coaching program or work with her directly and her team directly. So please go and check that out. How do we find you on social media? Because I was on your social media page earlier and it was amazing. Where is the best place to go find you on social, Courtney? Yeah, I would say Instagram or LinkedIn. Pick your poison. You know, if you're on Instagram, I'm there at the Courtney Elmer. If you're hanging on LinkedIn, you can just type in Courtney Elmer. I will say I have been on a bit of a social media sabbatical lately this summer, which has been wonderful. It's allowed me to just prioritize time at home with our little busy guy that keeps us on our toes, you know, and carting him to summer camp and bringing him to all his activities. And it's allowed me to be really present with him. But starting in the fall, we'll be back with our regularly scheduled programming on all the social media channels as usual. So come hang out with me there. You know what I really love social media for, Matt, is not posting. It's not for getting all these followers or even generating traffic or sales, but it's for connecting with people. And I love nothing more than when someone listens to a podcast episode and they send me a message on Instagram and they're like, oh my gosh, Courtney, what you shared an episode, whatever, whatever was exactly what I needed to hear today. Thank you. That makes my day. So if you want some bonus points in my book, listen to the podcast, come connect with me on social media. Let me know how the show impacted you. My only goal is to add value. And when I say that, it's not one of those things that everybody says, because, oh, add value. That's how we sell more, right? No, it's really about helping you. And it's about helping you navigate these ups and downs of entrepreneurship. Yes. And that is anti-fragile entrepreneurship. We care. We want to help. We want to add value. And at the same time, if it's not for you, that's fine. We just want to add value. Yeah, I had another choice word for that before we start <laughs> recording. I won't share, but I love it. I love it. Well, ding, 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 Courtney, we have uh, progressed to the lightning round here in the last few minutes. So I'd love to uh, hit you with a few improvisational questions. And the first one is when you hear the words eternal optimist, what does eternal optimist mean to you? What a great question. For me, optimism is about holding on to hope eternally, meaning don't stop holding on to it. Hope is going to be the thing that pulls you through those darkest moments. There's going to be times where you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but hope will help you believe and tell you that it's there. And that's going to be the thing that keeps you walking forward. Thank you. So if there is one or there are two, one or two books that have inspired you or served you in your journey, I know you've mentioned Anti-Fragile with Nicholas Taleb. Taleb earlier. Mm -hmm. Is there another one or two that have been inspirational for you in your journey? Anti-fragile is a great one, but I have to warn you, it's pretty dry. <laughs> it's a dense read. Be prepared if you dive into that, that <laughs> tome. It's wonderful. It makes you think. But there are some other books that have been pretty impactful for me. One of them, this is a bit off topic, but not so much given what I've shared here today, is Your Body Keeps the Score. And this is a fascinating read on how our bodies hold on to emotion and process the various events and experiences that we encounter on our life journey. Very insightful, very eye-opening. If you have struggled with either a recurring problem in your life or your business or a recurring pain in your body, I recommend you read this book. Fascinating read. So that's another great one. I mean, I, I could be here all day giving book recommendations, but I'll give you one more. It's called The Next Right Thing by Emily Freeman. This is a book on discernment 
and how to discern what is your next right thing. And I love this. It's not a business book, but I love this because we can apply it to our journey in business, in our careers, by learning how to look for arrows, not answers. Because in life, we're going to want the answer. We want it to be clear. We want it to be like this sign, like, you know, the sky's parting and angels singing and it comes right down and there we go. And that's it. Like, that's the path, right? But that's not how it happens. That's not how it usually happens. We usually have to learn to listen, learn to notice the arrows, and then learn to discern where the arrows are pointing us to help get us where we want to go. So I strongly recommend that book as well. So three books that are not necessarily your next, here's how to succeed in business novels, but books that will certainly help you on your journey. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. And last but not least, is there a particular type of music or a specific song that really inspires you, gives you energy that just gets you in that that zone for Courtney? Hip hop rap, Matt. I love hip hop. Ah. And I say this in all seriousness. I love it. And I think it's clean hip hop. I have to specify there are some that just, you know, pick choice words and repeat those over and over. And that's not my jam. But you know, there's an artist right now. He's very up and coming. He's an independent artist. His name's Connor Price. I think he's 28 years old. He's from Canada. And I have mad respect for him because he's a family man and he's extremely talented have never heard a bad word in any of his songs. You know how country music is always like telling a story and the lyrics are meaningful and rap typically is not that. Connor kind of bridges the gap. I can listen to just straight up Connor Price playlist on Spotify for my workouts and whatever. And there's a song called These Days that I really love. And in that song, he talks about, you know, these days I don't take advice from anybody who's going to tell me how to do it if they've never even done it. That just hit so home for me because of so many years that I've spent following other people's advice. And I shared a lot of that today where all the voices that we have in our lives, all the input and the opinions, the weight that we give to other people's opinions and oh, how many years of my life I've lost to that. And there was something a mentor of mine said to me once. He said, Courtney, really, what does this boil down to? What are you here to do? Are you going to let someone's opinion mean more than the work you're here to do? What's more important? Someone's opinion of you? Or the mission for which you've been put on this earth to do. And immediately it's like, gosh, okay, well, that just helps you get out of your head, right? And keep going. And to me, that song is representative of that. And I love the message that he shares there. But yeah, shout out to Connor because he's got some good stuff. Connor Price, you heard it here. Thank you. It's, it's been a real honor to learn from you, to experience and witness this story it is amazing. And I feel that there's more to come, more to come. So let's definitely follow Courtney Elmer. Just Thank you. Thank you so Thank much you for today. Matt. I appreciate you.